Hi, I'm Dr. Stewart. And I'm Leah Tyndale. And this is What's Up, Doc? And this is part two in our podcast mini-series on mental health. And we're going to talk today about diagnosis. We are, which is very, very important. And I think sometimes um, getting the ball rolling to even get your diagnosis is probably the biggest hurdle that anyone can face getting yourself in the room to see a GP. You just said it. That's exactly the the line. It's walking through the door is the hardest bit because you don't know what to expect. You don't know if the GP is going to be receptive to Mm. it, if they're going to minimise your symptoms and say, oh, you know, you're just having a rough time or I don't think there's anything going on here. And, and the reality is sometimes that might be what happens, but for the most part, I would sincerely hope it's not. Um, I think from my perspective, recognising the issues for the patient is key yeah. uh, and not normalising, not minimising their experience, but actually hearing the patient, giving them the time to express their concerns, to express what it is that they either they themselves have identified or not uncommonly, um, Let's just say a husband or a partner may attend sure. in duress. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my wife made me come along, so I've just come along. And yeah. Fair enough. But why did they want you to come along? Do you think they're right? Do you not think they're right? Mm. Let's explore it a little bit. I guess the vast majority of those times there probably is something underlying and the patient identifies and recognises it. Sure. They're just a little bit reluctant because they want to make sure that you're going to take them seriously and not make fun of them or whatever it Absolutely. is that they've built up in their head. Um, so I think it's also important for me to impress upon the patient that, look, if I make a diagnosis for you here today, it's not about stamping your forehead to say depression or yeah. ADHD and then just saying they're there, see you later. If, if we make a diagnosis of something like autism or dyslexia, for example, um, yeah, there might not necessarily be a drug or a particular um, treatment that is going to cure that for you. But what it will do is help us, help you, and help the people around you who care about you or who are going to interact with you to understand what the problem is. Yeah, exactly. So a, a good example, I think, is uh, for someone with dyslexia, they can change the font on their computer to Mm. something that's much easier to read, for example. And therefore, they're far less likely to make those little confusing mistakes that they can sometimes make, which frustrates and makes them feel less able to do the things that those around them can do. And what we want to try and do in these situations is to normalise their experience so that they can compete on a level playing field with the people around them, both in the workplace, in education and socially as well. So a lot of it is identifying the condition so that we can either treat it or at the very least help them and those around them to understand it and to mitigate against it. Mm, Absolutely. And I think before we go any further into the diagnosis and sort of what sort of things that people can expect in the process of seeing their GP, uh, I'd like to talk as well a little bit about getting yourself in to see the GP, like that that mental uh, battle that you might be going through even before you walk through the door. There's a lot of stigma attached around different mental health conditions and whether you've been Googling and self-diagnosing before and that's put, you know, a bit of anxiety in you further. But what else do you feel like contributes to that stigma? And and how can we combat it to make sure that people feel comfortable to make that first step of going to see their GP? You're absolutely right. And I, and I think it's a generational issue, which is largely slowly improving. Um, people are more likely to present now than they maybe would have done a generation ago. But there is still that stigma out there. There is a lot of misunderstanding about mental health and what a mental health condition is. And in some ways, it's seen as something different to a physical health condition, Mm. which actually, as speaking as a professional who 
deals with these things every day, I do not see it differently. I think of them all as physical health conditions. Okay. Yeah. So I see it the same as a broken leg or diabetes or epilepsy or any of these kind of things. Because, for example, depression. Well, if you compare depression and a broken leg, there are a lot of similarities. Um, I am a doctor, I promise okay, you. Okay, yeah. You need to trust me on this. I'm going somewhere with it. Okay, sure. Um, so a broken leg, you maybe can't drive. You maybe can't go out and do the sports or the things that you wanted to do. Similar to depression. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts a lot. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a broken bone, I but I have had to give people lots and lots of very serious painkillers mm. to mitigate the pain of broken bones. The pain and depression is a different type of pain. It's a different quality, we would mm. call it, but it's painful. Absolutely. It, um, it's, it can be invisible. So if you see someone going past in a bus, you might not see their leg in plaster. And similarly, I can't always pick patients out of the waiting room and say they're depressed mm. if I've never met them and diagnosed them. Uh, you know, it can be a very hidden condition that people don't necessarily see. But it's treatable mm. in the same way as a broken leg. Now, with a broken leg, you can choose to not treat it. You can just leave it with your leg <laughs> pointing off at a funny angle. Yes. And you'll walk with a limp the rest of your life, but you'll get better with time. It'll take an awful lot longer, but you'll get better on your own. Potentially, that's true of depression as well. You know, you can leave it and maybe it gets better, maybe it doesn't, but it's probably going to scar. And so it's important to engage with a mental health professional to go and engage with your GP and say, I'm worried about this. Mm. And is there something going on or is there not? And try and deal with that. Stigma is a huge challenge for us. And people are worried that they're going to get that stamp on the forehead, that they're going to be thought of as weak, that this is something they could have done something about, which yeah. they couldn't. This was going to be their thing. You know, um, some people have some of these conditions I've discussed before. Some people have diabetes. Some people have epilepsy. Some people have depression. Some people have anxiety. That's just their thing. We all have something. Yeah. Everyone has some kind of medical yeah. condition. There's no perfect human yet. So well, I'm trying. I'm getting close. But I accept that that's true. Yes. And, and so we all have a burden to carry in some respect. And for some people, this is theirs. And it's about recognising that, looking at the options available and allowing the patient to choose the right treatment. And we will go on to talk about treatment in, a, in another uh, show on this series. Okay, so you've managed to get over that first hurdle and you've made your, made your way over the threshold into the doctor's office. What's next? What can people expect when they're in the room in, the, in their uh, process of getting a diagnosis? So that's, it should be a friendly environment. It should be a welcoming space where you can be treated with dignity and respect and where you can have an opportunity to explain your concerns, explain what you're worried about, have those heard, and then to explore that together and discover is there actually something going on here or is there not? So, uh, for example, is this a potential mental health problem that we need to deal with? Mm. Or is this um, a reaction to an expected situation? So, for example, um, if you were a, a widow who had just lost her husband of 40 years three days ago, you're going to display a lot of the features I would expect to see in someone who is highly anxious or depressed. Um, but clearly you'd have very good reason to. Whereas if you had lost your partner 10 years ago and you were still behaving the same way, then that makes it more likely that perhaps you're suffering from a condition like abnormal grief reaction, okay. which would be an inappropriate response to that, for example. So what are sort of the, the processes? Are, are we taking bloods? Are we doing spells? How are we figuring out like the next step in someone's diagnosis? Well, as much as a fan I am of standing over my cauldron and <laughs> whipping up a nice potion, 
probably we're going to do some against some of the things that you learned in medical school. The, the, yeah, the potions <laughs> class, Hogwarts level. That wasn't yeah, okay. uh, wasn't something we covered. No, no, no. Okay, um, sure. Back, but back blood tests, I, yes. Every every patient actually, I would routinely do blood tests unless I had a very good reason not to. I would routinely do blood tests because there's lots of physical conditions that can manifest as similar. Uh, symptoms to mental health problems so for example thyroid disorders vitamin deficiencies anemia and iron deficiency for example will all provide at least some of the features that we would expect to see in depression so it's it's very good especially if we haven't done blood tests in in the fairly recent past say in the last three to six months it would be fairly reasonable to consider doing some blood tests to be able to say, look, it's definitely not any of those things. Okay. So let's explore mental health a little bit more and sure. see, is that what we're dealing with here? So part of the diagnosis is still really ruling out a whole lot of things yeah. rather than just um, blanketing, oh, yeah, you've definitely got, you know, depression or ADHD or whatever. There's a whole there's a whole thing, range of things that you need to go through. Absolutely. So with any diagnosis, there's always a range, and sometimes that can be an incredibly narrow range. So... Um, you know, we may be down to thinking, well, this is highly likely depression, maybe it's thyroid, or we may have a very wide, Mm. uh, long list of potential diagnoses. So if somebody just comes in with, for example, fatigue, uh, there's a long, long list of things that could be. And anxiety, depression, they're probably at the bottom of my bucket of things that that could be. So I need to empty everything else on top of that first. And then if that's what we're left with, that's what you got. And then if our GP, though, is sort of going straight down to the bottom of that bucket, is that problematic or are they then just someone that might, they might be, I don't know, right when you're in the room, yeah. are we jumping to conclusions here? How do you know if your GP or, or if you can feel like your GP is doing you justice of going through what it could be? That's a real good question. And look, it comes down to your own context and your own situation. You're absolutely right. Some incredibly experienced GPs may just make that diagnosis. Now, I'm not commenting on whether that's right or wrong. You will know whether or not you agree with that. And based on that, the GP recommend a treatment course. And if the treatment works, well, they were probably right. Uh, And if the treatment doesn't work, then maybe we want to revisit it. But as I say all the time to people, uh, if you're not happy with the advice you receive from a GP, including from me, seek another opinion. Go and speak to someone else, get that second opinion and say, do you think there's more to investigate here or do you think this is right? And I will happily see patients for that and I will happily recommend my patients do the same if they have any concerns mm. about the care or the, the support that I provide. It's so important, isn't it? It is. You've got to have confidence in the people looking after you. And one of the wonderful things about the Australian system is you can vote with your feet. So if you're not happy, if you don't feel that the care that you've been provided is, is meeting your expectation, Go find another GP. There are lots of us out there and you will find somebody who fits. I talk a lot about Cinderella and the glass slipper. Mm. You want to find one that fits. You want to find somebody who you feel is hearing you and is responding to your needs and is treating you appropriately. At the end of the day, although it's not often life and death what we do in that room, I do prescribe things on a daily basis that could harm patients. Sure. So if you don't have absolute confidence in my ability to help you look after your own health, you should find someone else. Mm, absolutely. I think that's tricky because sometimes there is a bit of blind trust um, yep. either some, sometimes goes one way or then it's the other way. We have no trust at all. So then it's... True. <laughs> and, and this is an issue that we do deal with on a daily basis. But I am confident enough in my abilities. I am uh, the type of doctor and the way I was trained 
was to be honest with mm. my patients. One of the main causes of complaints in the very, very high percentages in the 90s, the causes of complaints is poor communication. Yeah. The doctors not communicating the risks, for example, or the expected outcomes with the patient. And I try very, very hard. I invest a large amount of time into communication. That's part <laughs> yes. of why I like this. Um, I want to be able to communicate well. I, I focus a lot of my energies on that. And I share the risk with my patients. Mm. So if I'm not certain about something, my patients will know about it. Mm. And they, they trust me more as a result because I'll explain why I'm uncertain and I'll explain my rationale. I think you've got depression, but I want to exclude this. I'm not certain if it's this. So let's look at this, this and this. And if mm. those are all fine, then it's going to be this. I think that's wonderful. And I hope that uh, wherever you are, that you're listening, that you can find a GP that does the same thing, not to, you know, <laughs> toot your horn or I'm whatever. Pretty, I'm pretty you're busy. Right. I'm all yeah, good. Yeah, you're, you're booked. Um, but I guess the other thing that's linked to that is with children or teenagers coming in to get a diagnosis, that can be a very different sort of way because there's a lot yeah. of, obviously, we've got stresses at school and all sorts of things that can be happening and pressures at home. And then as well, I think parents like to be like, oh, well, you're disruptive, you're difficult. Yeah. I'm going to take you into the doctor's office and we're going to diagnose you because you've yeah. definitely got, you know, anger issues and depression and whatever. Absolutely. How, how does that work? And, and, and in the diagnosis of teenagers and children, yeah. how does it work differently in, in when they come and sit down in front of you? Again, context is key. Um, so one 13-year-old is not the same as another 13-year-old, sure. for example. But age is definitely important. So younger children will suffer from different issues to older children. So, for example, ADHD starts to show its head as children move into the slightly more academic phases of primary school. Um, whereas once you move into secondary school, you might be seeing more bullying, uh, perhaps more uh, social isolation. Um, I saw a wonderful talk by a psychologist uh, called Jordan Foster, um, who talked at, at my kid's school. I, I think of myself as fairly tech savvy. I mm. worked in IT for a time. Uh, but she talked about something I hadn't really ever considered, which was uh, bullying by inclusion. Uh, it's about if, if uh, say, uh, you and a couple, uh, three friends mm. were in a, a WhatsApp group or whatever, um, just a friend group, and you were chatting away and you had a, a rough uh, experience with somebody else who's not in the group. So you, you go home from school and you, you, you text about, oh, Leah was just being so annoying today. Mm. She's just driving me mad, you know, saying things that, you know, you would blow off steam to your friends with. And when I was a kid, it would be the kind of thing that you would just chat to them, to, yeah, to your friends about, yes. and it was done. But then imagine one of your friends in that group adds that person oh. in and they can see that history. And suddenly oh. you've bullied them by including them into that conversation. It's a big, big topic, yes. but it's something that kids are actually having to wrestle with and deal with on a daily basis. Uh, the pressures of social media, the pressures of print and, and professional media, Photoshop and the, the images of women and the, the ideas of perfection and what our so bodies ought to look pressure. like and you know what is the expected. Um, there are pressures on kids to achieve. For example, if there are financial pressures on the family, they have to get into a gate program in order to get scholarships or they want to make sure they succeed so they have to get certain ATAR scores or they <laughs> I'm feeling anxious by this list that you're just sharing now. And 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 then it's you add to that hormones. Yes. Let's face it. And and just when you start to want to attract other people, your body smites you with spots <laughs> or or with body odor or all these other things that can sweating and all the other things yeah. that kids suffer with. And it's it's an incredibly 
difficult time. And and yes, there are lots of natural things going on there, but there's lots of other aspects that kids struggle with as well. So it's an incredibly fraught time for kids. And it's something that very commonly I have to deal with in mm. practice and help to walk them through. And definitely worth, I suppose, going in for diagnosis or to have that conversation. Absolutely. Because then you're opening up a great conversation with the GP and the parent that hopefully will create a, another safe space for whatever it may come up, whether it's, you know. And there may not be a mental health diagnosis yeah. within that. It may just be that that kid needs some external support. They need somewhere else they can go. Absolutely. To just go, this is so unfair, and why do I feel like this? Absolutely. Hey, we're uh, almost out of time for this episode. Um, but before we wrap up, I just would love to know, like, if there's one sort of key sentence, or is there like a special catchphrase or word that when you go into a GP's office that you can say and do and actually get like, I don't know, so that you, so you can feel heard, or, or I don't know, something that you should be asking for like without fail, if you go into a GP and you're like, I want to go down this route of, of exploring if I, there's a mental health condition there, yeah, what's that one thing? I wouldn't say there's a specific phrase, but the phrase I hear most commonly is, I don't know how to put this. Okay. And it's okay to say that. Great. Because it's not your job to figure out how to phrase it. It's my job to try and extract the information and make a diagnosis. Absolutely. So you don't need to be afraid about how you word it. Just come talk to me. I have medical students and registrars sitting in with me all the time. And there's one thing I always say to them. Uh, I ask them to observe and I say to them, if you learn nothing else from me, learn that I'm just a human trying to help other humans. Mm, I like that. It's always good to have context as well. We're not going to see other superheroes. Or, well, you are a superhero. I am, but other <laughs> GPs may not they be. They may not be. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thanks so much again, Dr. Stewart. Um, but don't go anywhere if you're listening because what's coming up next? Treatment. Very important. All content and media related to the What's Up Doc podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, please make sure you see your local healthcare professional.